This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Saddle Hunters, our brothers over at Tethered, continue to kill the game by releasing innovative products. They just recently put out the Eberhardt Series Saddle. They also put out the Menace Saddle, which is for our, our husky brothers and sisters that are into saddle hunting that does but that said, I'll do just maybe a little bit better job of cupping your quote unquote assets. But the thing that I'm most excited about is their recent release of the tethered one climbing stick. Um, this thing is crazy light, crazy strong and crazy quiet. I'm just going to cut to the chase here and give you some specs. Each stick weighs in at less than one pound. And that includes your Dynalite rope attachment. Uh, a three pack of these will weigh in at 2.7 pounds, which is ridiculously light. It's a 17-inch step-to-step uh, single stick uh, single stick height, and there's an 8.5-inch uh, step footbed, which gives you plenty of room for, for those of us folks with, with, with bigger feet. It's all made with aerospace-grade titanium and aluminum for construction. So if you'd like to learn more about Tethered's innovative products, head over to tetherednation.com and check them out. This podcast is brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. Skull Brew Coffee roasts premium single-origin coffee guaranteed to deliver the freshest coffee directly to your doorstep. The kicker, they're 2% for conservation certified and donate 10% of their proceeds back to organizations who support the interests of our hunting community. So go to SkullBrewCoffee.com and pick up one of their three killer roasts and fuel your hunt and fill more tags with Skull Brew Coffee. Welcome to the Truth from the Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 203. Today, we're coming to you live from the Rut Wagon for Rut Log number two, so stay tuned. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you're doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. I think it's Wednesday. I think I'm putting this out on Wednesday. Um, I've kind of lost, lost track of days here. Um, I guess it's officially been uh, eight days, maybe, for me. I think I think so. It feels like a month. 
kind of <laughs> has passed by since I since I left uh, since I left home. Um, but it's been a little bit of a crazy trip. I'm not gonna lie; these these out of state trips always kind of you know end up being a little bit crazy. You never know what's gonna happen. Um, sometimes the hunting's good, sometimes the hunting's bad. And so I figured today I'm 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 riding solo today. Um, Zach had to take off. Uh, this is officially the end of uh, end of my Missouri hunt. Uh, I'm recording this on Sunday morning because it's really the only time I'm going to have because I got to pack up camp and head to this to the next state, the undisclosed location that I'm heading to. Um, and it was time for Zach to get back to his back to his family. Um, Chad's actually grabbing one more morning hunt here uh, before he heads back home for a couple of days, and then he and I will meet up in our in the next spot um, that that we're headed to. Uh, so I figured I would take a quick second here and kind of catch everyone up <clears throat> apologies for not getting as many of these out as i had anticipated i you know i know i wanted to try to do roughly one every other day or so it's been um it's been a grind uh some long days and um you know the the, the camper just really isn't conducive to you know being set up and um recording every every night and tearing down every night and stuff like that so Apologies for that, but hopefully, you know, I'll have a little bit more as far as updates go when we get to um, when we get to our next uh, next location. Uh, partially because you know this Missouri trip here has been a little bit of a whirlwind, you know, and I don't remember exactly when we did our last um, our last podcast and what update was was part of that. Um, but originally, you know, I'll just kind of quickly go through the beginning of it. You know, originally we were hunting, you know, really in the northeast part of of Missouri. Um, you know, we were sticking relatively close to Iowa, um, for obvious reasons and didn't have this whole trip is, is, is completely a freelance hunt. So I hadn't scouted, you know, any of these places, Chad hadn't scouted any of these places. Um, Zach is from Missouri, but he had never scouted any of these places or been to any of these places either. So this was all completely new terrain, you know, new kind of, uh, habitat like you, you name it it was all brand new we really we really needed to get to these you know a piece and, and start to break it down and the first place we got to was you know i think we talked about it a little bit was river bottom um a lot of structure but a lot of you know a lot of this piece was just really big kind of like fallow i, I don't even want to call it crp but just like nasty overgrown fields that would just like go on for looked like miles um with some chunks of timber here and there um and so the setups were limited there was a lot of pressure um, and so in order to get away from the pressure, you know, you were going to have very, you know, very minimal setups. Um, we ended up in the first like two or three days, I think it was, you know, we found some really good sign. We felt like we were far enough away from people it was probably about, you know, I think Zach and I's hike in specifically was about two miles one way. Um, we are, you know, if the river was up, we had the ability to use the boat and use the river to get in and backdoor some access. Uh, which would have made it really, really easy, but the river's so low that we couldn't use the boat was useless in in this particular hunt or this you know spot. So, which meant you know a two mile hike in you know every morning, which you know isn't a, isn't a big deal. Uh, it's all pretty much flat, um, but also the river access was going to be choice for you know a couple different winds to get into a couple different locations. So. You know, we ended up throwing a couple good hunts at that river bottom and, you know, one setup we didn't see any deer, but man, it just felt, it felt right and felt good. Um, and we were on a hot scrape and just hammer rubs, big rubs. Um, you know, I think we even talked about, we met a guy there, um, Matt, you know, shout out to him from Wisconsin. 
he ended up getting on a big deer. Um, I think I even mentioned maybe in the past podcast, we may have, you know, after we spoke with him, you know, Zach and I bumped a deer off of this, um, scrape line on this bottom piece that we were hunting, um, early in the morning, we couldn't tell what it was. It just sounded like a, you know, a bigger bodied deer. It was a solo deer and it just made, you know, it was one of those things where when they're, when their feet hit the ground, you can kind of tell the difference between, you know, a small deer, a doe, or of what might be a buck just by the, you know, at least sometimes you can, by the sound they make as they, as they kind of leave. And, you know, we both kind of looked at each other and were like, that sounded like it was a solo deer. Like it could have been a big bodied, heavy deer. And then within 40 minutes, he was North of us. He ended up having an encounter with, you know, and missed a, a deer that probably went about 160 ish. Um, so, you know, not, not knowing for sure whether or not that was the case, but it was just one of those things. It was very coincidental that it came from the direction we were at. Um, and you know, directly from where we were essentially in the timing kind of matched up to where, you know, it made about it made sense based on when we bumped him to when, when Matt had the shot opportunity. So, so that was that hunt. Um, we ended up having that hunt. I think we even talked about it previously. You know, we had an encounter with a good deer. Um, actually two good deer. I think we saw five deer that morning and three of the five were bucks, but they were all just like screaming through chasing does. Well, one, one was chasing a doe. The other one was kind of bird dog and trying to find, trying to find a doe. Um, you know, so it wasn't like we spent a lot of time with, with those deer. And so th- we got back to camp that afternoon and really just kind of made the, the call that, you know, Chad scouted this, you know, Northern, I think it was the Northern piece of this property. It might've been a Southern. I don't remember exactly. He scouted the complete opposite side of the, this piece where we kind of knew that there was some doe bedding just from some Intel we were gathering from some folks that were around camp or were leaving camp. Um, he found a little bit of sign, but nothing, nothing too crazy. And you know, the action, it's what seemed like from the folks around us was, was drying up a little bit. And so we felt like we needed to get to a place where we would have more room to roam and could, you know, have an opportunity to break down a bigger piece of, of property to try to get away from people because we were really kind of based on the pressure that had been there previously, the pressure that was there while we were there, we really just had a small chunk of this property that we were going to be able to maybe, you know, not even have to ourselves, but at least for the time being have to ourselves. Um, but you know, you spend a couple hunts in there and you really kind of, you know, that, that spot's kind of burned and we had a week to, to spend. So, at that point, we figured, you know, it was in our best interest to probably pull camp and move. Um, so we did and packed everything up. We made about an hour and a half drive more to like central Missouri, still, you know, <clears throat> in the northern part of Missouri, but central Missouri and set up camp there. And, um, you know, again, you know, Zach and I got on sign. I think we all got on sign pretty quick. Um, and, you know, I think within two days, maybe. Um, Zach and I had an, uh, an encounter with, um, with a good deer with, with, you know, two decent deer, you know, either one, I think on this trip, given it as a freelance hunt, you know, wasn't going to be incredibly picky, um, as far as, uh, you know, size or maturity or anything like that. I was just looking for a good, a good buck that would, you know, get me excited. Essentially it was what the criteria was. It wasn't like a inches mark or an age mark or anything like that. It was like, if the situation's right, it feels good. And, and it's a cool setup, you know, and I'm excited about it, then we're going to, we're going to let an arrow fly. Um, so we ended up having a decent encounter. We had great access on this piece. Um, you know, essentially we had a a crick bottom that we could walk. It was pretty dried up. It was a crick bed and, you know, we could basically use that for our access all along, all along this crick bottom and, and stay pretty clean. And we found the first morning or the first afternoon, actually, we were there, 
we found a couple hammer rubs um, up this ridge that were super fresh, like made that day um, type of fresh, like that morning before we had got in there. So we set up on those immediately and uh, hunted that afternoon, or I guess that might have been the morning. I don't even remember exactly. I guess it was the morning. <clears throat> and we set up on those um, and uh, didn't see anything. And kind of moved off and scouted the rest of the day. And we had an evening set up somewhere that didn't didn't produce. And so then we came back and we thought, you know, maybe along that creek bottom, you know, if we stay on the bottom part of the ridge, it was like these ridge systems all kind of ran into these drainages or these these creeks, it seemed like, was kind of like how this land laid out. And what we kind of noticed when we got there, it was kind of hard to see on the map because we saw like some of these roads, but they weren't well defined. And we didn't know, I couldn't tell at least, are they like gravel access roads that people can kind of get to everything? Or are they just old two tracks that are showing up on, on the, on the satellite imagery and are they all kind of grown up? Like, so wasn't exactly sure. But when we got there, what we realized was, is that there was basically gravel all around that you could get to all these ridge systems and you could park pretty much anywhere and walk down these ridges. And so there was just a ton of pressure at this place. I mean, every ridge top had a truck parked at it and there was a guy hunting there, um, you know, or two or three or whatever the case was. We talked to some folks who had been hunting that general area for years. And, you know, they even kind of made the comment that, you know, this was probably some of the most pressure that they've seen there, you know, ever. And they've been hunting it for 15, you know, 15 plus years. So we ended up finding that one little spot to where, you know, I think we drove by four places we had marked on the map the first morning, just drove by them because there were trucks parked there and, you know, you don't know where people are at. So you don't want to go in busting up somebody's hunt. So, our criteria then became we were just going to drive until we found a stretch of road somewhere, regardless of what the topography looked like, regardless of what the habitat looked like. We were just going to drive until we found like a little clean stretch piece of road, you know, that we could tell that there wasn't anybody parked there. Now, the kicker with this place is, is that these roads kind of wrap around these ridges. So even though you might be clean on one side, you know, you go down to a creek bottom or to like a big draw and back up the other side of the ridges, there's another road that accesses the other side. So, even though you're coming in that side, there could be somebody coming in from the opposite side, uh, opposite side of you. And so there was just access everywhere, but we managed to find a spot where, you know, that Creek bottom didn't really have any boot tracks in it. There were a lot of deer, uh, a, a lot of, um, you know, deer tracks that were, that were in there. We did, you know, cut one or two buck tracks, nothing of substantial size. So that next morning, what we ended up doing was hunting the lower third of this of this ridge because when we looked at it and we when we did our scouting, these two ridges kind of wrapped, you know, this creek bottom kind of wrapped around to the to the right if you were walking down the creek bottom and and the ends of those um, ridge tops and, and I call them ridge tops, but they're not super steep. That you know those those tops that basically dumped down into the creek bottom are all crazy brushy. Like it looked like at some point they had done some, you know, uh, uh, some timber stand improvement in that general area. So it was really brushing. So when you looked at it, it was like, man, you know, this looks like really good bedding. And the first morning we walked in there, we actually bumped the dough out of there. Um, and it was, you know, as soon as we kind of, as soon as we kind of entered it. And when we were walking the access down, you know, from the top of the ridge, the top of the ridge was littered with, littered with scrapes assuming those were all kind of tended at, tended at night. Um, so one thing we did find out, I think we mentioned maybe on the last podcast was we talked about hanging some cameras. What we did learn is we weren't able to hang cameras. Um, we did a little investigation, you know, and found out that, you know, a lot of this land, depending on what it is, um, in Missouri, you can't use cameras. Um, if it's conservation land, you can't use cameras. 
I believe if it's just like state public land, I think that you can, but you know, just to be safe, you know, we weren't going to, you know, we weren't going to run any, run any cameras after we kind of learned that bit of Intel before we went out. So, you know, there was no way to tell what's been hitting these scrapes or what's using them, what's passing through or whatever, which is another reason why, you know, the criteria for what I was going to potentially want to shoot, you know, I wasn't going to be terribly picky because I don't really have a ballpark idea of what's in the area other than based on what guys are, you know, the guys I run into at camp and stuff like that, you know, tell me from, you know, historical information and stuff like that, or what I've visibly see myself or the sign that I see, if it'll indicate, you know, what the caliber of deer might be. So we went in that morning and set up about a third of the way up this ridge near what we assumed to be doe bedding. Cause we found some does in there. Um, and I don't remember what time it was. It was not, it was pretty soon after daylight. We had a, you know, two bucks kind of running a doe. The doe ran through the two bucks came through. And it was weirdest things. I'd never seen two bucks on a doe at the same time. Um, and they stopped and kind of squared off and thought they might throw down. Um, the one was clearly an older deer, um, good looking buck. And the other one was clearly a younger, uh, submissive deer. And so he just kind of walked off, never got a shot opportunity. We tried to call, we let them get like a little bit ways away from us to where they'd get out of potential eyesight. Cause where they were standing, they were probably only about 40 yards from us. Um, but there was just no, no shot. And I'm not shooting that far in the timber just in general. And we were waiting for them to try to come a little bit closer because, you know, we, we thought they may angle toward us. In hindsight, what we realized was, you know, and it was hard to see when you were on the ground how much ground cover there was, is that we were probably 20 yards outside the game. We probably we needed to be about 20 yards closer to that to that bedding edge, um, and then we would have had a shot opportunity. Um, but, you know, it's hard to see that edge or that definitive edge whenever you're on the ground. Once you get in the tree, it became really clear where we needed to be, you know, and we just were, we were just slightly outside of the game. So, so with that, um, you know, that, that rest of that day was kind of a bust. You know, after the morning hunt, we got down and just scouted a bunch more, didn't see anything. Um, I think the next day we went back in and hunted that same bedding area the next morning because now at this point the temps you know when we were at the first piece of public we weren't having great weather but we were you know 50s the one morning i think it was even 27 so we caught just a little bit of like a day and a half two days of cold weather um but once we went to this new piece it was like forecast when we first got there was like mid 60s and then it was going to be 70 the rest of the way and i think you know most of you out there probably experiences experiencing this across the midwest and even back home in pa you know the the temps have just been unseasonably warm. So, um, you know, we kind of assumed morning hunts were going to be the priority. Um, you're going to have the coolest temperatures at that, at that point of the day, you know, afternoon movement was probably going to be limited and, you know, evening movement would probably start later than anticipated. So needed if, you know, evening hunts, you're going to have to hug close to bedding as well to try to catch anything coming out, you know, as, as the temps start to drop, we did think since we were hunting a Creek bottom, it was cooler down there. We thought we might be getting a little bit more action earlier in the day based on it being a little bit cooler in that general area, but it just never came to fruition. So the next morning we ended up moving trees, you know, about 20 yards closer to where we, um, to where we ultimately need to be. And, um, and, and just and nothing, you know, so nothing, there was, uh, no play there. And so, you know, we went back to camp essentially, I don't remember exactly what day this was, but, you know, we had some other guys roll into camp that, you know, use this particular parking spot for like the past 20 years. And they were going to have 10 to 12 guys. They had a big speaker system. Um, you know, we, we got to talk to them and stuff like that. Some good old boys. And, um, 
it's just one of those things where it's like we were kind of, you know, grinding it out and stuff like that. And those guys, you know, definitely throwing down on a, on a deer camp style thing. Um, you know, and I'm probably more of a, uh, early to bed, early to rise type of, um, type of hunter, I guess, whenever I'm on these out of state trips. So we thought it was probably in our best interest just to kind of move, let them have their fun, you know, let them have their, their traditional setup. And we were either going to move just campsites or we were like, if we're going to pack up and you know, if we're going to shift and move, maybe we should just think about going somewhere else. Um, and so we made some phone calls and, you know, Zach made some phone calls to some family in a particular part of the state that we were potentially thinking about, you know, going to. And we got some advice from his cousin who had been hunting a general area who his family owns a bunch of property around, you know, this particular area. And he knew of some places that were just what he, you know, considered to be really overlooked. Um, he's hunted them in the past, had great water access, um, but not well known. And, you know, the frame of reference he gave us was, you know, during gun season, it gets hit pretty hard, but during archery season, there's really not many folks around here. And he spends a fair amount of time around this particular area, you know, duck hunting and stuff like that. And that's kind of how he knows, knows about it. And he's hunted it in the past too. So we, you know, we didn't have a better option at that point. So we were like, you know what, let's just head there. You know, I think this was, man, I don't even know, maybe Friday. Uh, no, that would have been, I think Wednesday we packed up camp and headed this way. And we got here, um, a lot of it was going to be water access, which we liked. Um, you know, there was some parts to the North on this property that you could potentially get in through walking access. Um, but it was going to be pretty gnarly. And when we looked at it on the map, it looks really thick. looks like it's good. looks like you can get into some secluded places where you can really only get in by boat. Um, and we had a boat. So we got here the first night, like Wednesday night, and we were just like, you know what, let's just go out and scout and, and see what we can see. And dropped, we got in the boat, dropped Chad off at one spot. And then we, Zach and I boated to another, another area. And this is the craziest thing. So we get in, I mean, we're not even in the timber, you know, I don't even know, 30 minutes maybe. And get a text from Chad that he he jumped the giant. And, you know, I don't know how, you know, you guys listen to this podcast often enough that, you know, Chad's a good buddy of mine. Chad's killed big deer in the past. You know, he hunts, traditionally hunts big deer. He usually has like a big deer that he has in mind that he's trying to kill. You know, when I say big deer, it's like a, you know, a, a healthy caliber, um, healthy caliber animal. And so when he sends you a text that he jumped a giant, it's not like he jumped a a Pope and young buck, you know, or, you know, like a one, one twenty five. even though, look, I'm, I'm shooting that. Um, but you know, whenever he says there's a, there's a giant, it's, it's, you know, what I immediately thought of was this is one fifty class or better. I was like, Holy smokes. You know, it's like, it was literally 20 minutes, you know? And so he kind of looked on the map where that deer might go and he was trying to figure out where he was going to set up. So, you know, Zach and I are <clears throat> moving through the timber and we immediately got in and found some really good rubs, some high rubs that we were like, all right, there's a good buck in this area. And then we ended up seeing a doe. And so, you know, we're already in deer and this place is just gnarly thick around this, around this body of water. I mean, just like stupid thick. And so as we're making our way through, we kind of, it's, it's like a combination of like really thick, you know, just brush and green briar blow down, um, there's some areas in here that are, you know, you'll get into some cedar thickets and, and stuff like that. Um, you get into some areas that are, 
you know, just heavy kind of CRP, you know, looking stuff with like these small, you know, little like oak groves, white oaks dropping, still dropping acorns like out the wazoo. You know, we're still dealing with dealing with hot temperatures, you know, so now we're talking like we're hitting 70s every day now at this point between 70 and like 73. So less than ideal. So Zach and I basically were walking through and we got to this one part where there was a cedar thicket and I was like, hey, let's walk up along this, you know, edge of the cedar thicket and just see if we can start to see any scrapes or anything that were laid down. Because that's the one thing on this entire trip so far here in Missouri is that like the scrapes, like I found one, like as soon as we got off the boat, like inside the timber, but I didn't see as many scrapes or as big a scrapes, you know, or I didn't, I don't think I ever found a community, what I would consider a community scrape or a primary scrape, you know, up against like bedding cover, which was just something for me that I was um, really kind of surprised by. Cause there were some areas we were walking through where I thought, man, like this would be a prime spot for that. Like this should be doe bedding here. You know, there should be bedding right here. There's a couple rubs like, man, there should be a primary scrape around here somewhere. And there was just, just couldn't come across one. So we're walking up along the edge of this cedar thicket and, um, you know, we're walking along the edge, kind of still hunting, scouting, you know, and we get to the top near the private line and we're just kind of looking around and I was like, all right, you know what? I'm going to go to the bathroom real quick. I'm going to take a leak real quick while we're standing here. And I was like, cause I want to go down to the bottom edge of this thicket and I want to kind of work the edge of this entire thing to see if there's any scrapes or anything around here or anything worth looking at. So I'm going to the bathroom and I just start to hear something run like in, in cedar thickets, you know, they're um, great for cover, great for deer to hide in, but there's not really a whole lot of food in there. But in this area, there's just oaks right on the edge of it. So it's not like they got acorns everywhere. So, and when deer are walking through this, like there's no leaves on the ground, of course. Right. And so they're super quiet. And so I just all of a sudden hear like some branches crack and I look up in front of me and there is a doe with another doe right behind her running like full tilt all they got at me like they are and i'm like well this means one thing there's a buck behind it so i'm literally going to the bathroom have my you know not going to be too vulgar or descript here but you can imagine what you know what i'm doing at the moment and i'm just watching these deer run right toward me and i'm kind of like man do they see me are they going to move you know and then all of a sudden through the brush i just see like 150 inches of antler just breaking branches as he's hauling ass toward me and it's one of those things where <laughs> I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm literally going to get run over by a 150 inch deer with my, with my pants down. Right. And at the last second that doe, the first doe sees me and cuts to the right, her right. And that buck follows her. Like they came within five yards, maybe three yards, three to five yards of me. Like I could have probably re- reached out and grabbed a handful of antler and rodeoed that deer. I mean, I would have got myself killed probably. But that is literally how close they were. They ran literally right in front of me. And I remember just looking at Zach with like my mouth wide open, like, did that just freaking happen? Like that was a giant buck that literally almost ran me over. And so that was literally like the first. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Gosh, I mean, I don't know, maybe 
it might not even have been an hour that we were in the woods. So we had already found like a couple hammer rubs, this really great cedar thicket, a bunch of really good habitat and 150 inch deer. And Chad had just see, had seen one within 20 minutes of being in the timber. And so we all of a sudden were like, all right, we think we found a pretty good little, little honey hole here to, to spend some time in. And so, you know, Zach and I ended up scouting the rest of that cedar thicket, some hammer rubs that were just like super fresh shaving still on the ground, trees still wet. No doubt. It was that bigger deer that probably made it in my, in my mind at least. Um, and so, you know, we marked that of course, and just kind of kept scouting. We wanted to work this entire edge and get up to like this, you know, um, up to the base of the property border, um, in the Southern piece around this water. And so we kept kind of working our way through. We ended up kicking up a couple other deer, um, didn't see any other bucks. And then we ended up setting up in this draw that was just nasty thick. Um, that was a really good setup. Ended up seeing a deer at like very last light kind of, kind of walk through a doe, um, by herself, you know? And so we were both pretty pumped about the, about the prospects. You know, I think that was, I think it was Wednesday, maybe, maybe that was Thursday. I, I don't remember exactly. That might've been Thursday. I, I don't recall my days are getting all, all mixed up here. But anyway, fast forward, you know, the next day, um, Zach and I went out. I don't remember where exactly we, we even set up on that hunt. Um, but I don't think we saw anything that day, maybe a couple does. Chad actually went to full draw on a deer, um, actually released an arrow and, and missed a buck. Um, he was probably about 130 inches is what is, is what he, you know, estimated at. Um, just, you know, misjudged the, misjudged the distance and, and let it rip and, and, and clean miss. And then yesterday, <clears throat> whatever, <clears throat> excuse me, whatever day that was Saturday, I think it was Saturday. Um, you know, we, Zach and I went out with, um, with the boat again and, you know, we were like, Hey, let's go to where those, you know, I want to set up where those scrapes are or where those, where those rubs were at. It's like, it just feels like, you know, deer are going to meander through there. You know, bucks are, there's, there's CRP right behind us. That's public. Then there's CRP above that, that is private. And then, you know, there's, um, I mean, there's a cedar thicket on the left of you and on the right of you. I mean, those, those rubs are in, in this one cedar thicket. Then there's an oak flat in between them or like an oak draw in between them. And then a cedar thicket on the other side of the draw. And I was like, I really just want to set up in there because I was like, you know, behind us, we had a Southeast wind. And if we set up on, you know, the, I guess it'd be the East side, you know, up against the East thicket, the edge, the inside edge of it, our wind, if we set up close to the private line, there's a, there's a, kind of like a, an open area there that is of no, of no value. Really. I think it's a pasture or an old pasture, um, all fenced off private. I was like, if we set up close to the property line, you know, our scent should kind of cut the corner and blow out into that timber. And if anything wants to get downwind to check scent, you know, wind us, they're going to have to expose themselves for a shot opportunity. And if they come from, if they come from the East side, if they come from the West side, there's a big down tree in that, that drainage is just like ridiculously deep and steep. I was like, and I just don't think that they're going to go through that. You know, I was like, I didn't see any trails that were crossing it or anything like that. So I was like, if we set up here, like we should almost be bulletproof from getting winded and, you know, we'll have shooting down to like where it kind of, where the draw kind of flattens out a little bit or that drainage flattens out a little bit to where I think where deer are going to cross. And so that was our game plan the night before. So we got in there, 
nice and quiet. The only thing that we should have done previously when we were in there that we didn't do is we should have just while we were there, pick out the tree we wanted to get into. Um, but I think probably just because we were seeing big sign, got excited, didn't think about it and didn't pick the tree. So when we got in there in the morning, you know, it took us a minute to find the right tree, um, to, to get into. And then, you know, after we got into, you know, the tree we're getting, we're climbing up and then all of a sudden, you know, there's, um, we, there was a deer in the thicket when we were starting to climb. So we had to chill out for a moment there, let her mosey on. I got most of the way up, had like my sticks basically set and was ready to set my platform. And then there was a buck that came out and walked within 10 yards. Uh, no, 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 not at that point. There was another doe that showed up. We finally got into the tree and we weren't quite set up yet. Um, and we just had legal shooting light and there was a buck that walked, you know, within 10 yards of the tree or I mean exactly like we drew it up, like exactly where we thought they would come to. So we were able to hurry up, get set up and tried to grunt him back in, but he couldn't hear us. We had a little bit of wind and there was, you know, when you're in those cedar thickets, man, it's like that sound doesn't travel very far in those places. Like it kills it pretty quick. And so then <clears throat> maybe, uh, I don't know, it might've been a half hour went by or something like that. I mean, cause we saw that buck, I think shooting light was right around like six thirty or something like that. So we saw that, that deer right around that time. And then right around, you know, shoot, I don't know, probably 20 to seven or 10 to seven, probably like 10 to seven. We, we, the reason we liked that spot is we could see the very edge of the CRP and we were, in, we were tucked in the timber. And while we're sitting there, you know, we all of a sudden spotted a deer out in the CRP and then all of a sudden we could tell it was a buck. And so I grunted at it, tried to get it to come in. It wouldn't come in. And so I grabbed my rattling antlers because I was like, I just need something that's going to be loud. You know, it's like he needs to hear if we, if, he, if I'm going to draw him in, he needs to hear me because it looked like he was going to cut the edge of that CRP or the edge of that um, cedar thicket and just kind of go out into this adjacent, other adjacent CRP section. So I grabbed my antlers and cracked them together. And the other cool thing about this set, this piece is that, man, the pressure was non-existent on this piece. Like didn't see another person in the timber. Didn't, I mean, we saw like, an old ladder stand that was set up that was clearly set up to be a gun stand. And then we saw someone's climber that was back in this one, one corner. Um, it was actually a pretty good setup. I mean, it's, it would be what maybe a place that I would consider, consider setting up. Um, but that was really it. Like there wasn't like a ton of like boot tracks or wasn't like flagging tape. There wasn't anything like that. It was just like, you know, one or two stands and that, and that was it. Um, and so my thinking was, you know, the previous places we had been, or at least the second place that we were, you know, the deer didn't react positively to, to, to calling the, the buck encounter that we had when I called, it made them skittish. And so what that told me was, is that, yeah, given all this pressure, they're getting a lot of grunts, a lot of rattles and a lot of bleats. And so they're, they're, they're hip to the game. They're not going to stick around when they hear that stuff. So knowing that there wasn't a lot of pressure on this piece or assuming that there wasn't, I cracked the antlers together and that, Buck's head ripped around and looked in that direction. I rattled him a little bit, gave him a grunt, and he was coming. Like he wanted to know what that what that deer was, and so he came a little closer and stopped. I gave him another grunt, and uh, he started working his way toward us. He wanted to know what that deer was, and so now I grab my bow, and he's walking in, and he looks like he's going to walk and give me a strong side shot, and. Um, I'm like, man, if he follows the path, but in the opposite direction that deer did this morning, man, that's going to be like a, a 10 yard shot, you know, and it's open. Like there's just, you know, that 
that section of that of that drainage is like the best shooting opportunity like you could possibly ask for. Like the deer just came through cover. There's no way they're going to see you. They're headed down away from you, you know, slightly quartering, you know, away shot. So his head will be pointed the opposite direction. We'll have plenty of time to draw, plenty of room to stop him. Like perfect. Well, he gets to that point and makes a decision. And he starts jogging the other way. And so I recognized he was going to move the other way because he wanted to get downwind or try to get downwind of whatever deer that was that was making making noise because it's so thick in there he wasn't going to be able to see to the other side of the other side of that draw or the other side of the side of that drainage so he starts working his way like to try to get downwind and he was never going to wind us and bust us so that wasn't the concern but that side i had you know when we were in the tree when we were thinking about where the shooting opportunities were i was like i got two shots here to my strong to my weak side and then i've got a ton of shot opportunities to my to my strong side which is why i set up the way i did um, anticipating the deer were going to come from there or make their way down through there. So he's getting ready to pass through those two windows and he stops right before that. So I'm now at full draw waiting, waiting for him to make a move. And, you know, I think I was at full draw for, you know, I don't know, 30 seconds, 40 seconds, something like that. feels like an eternity, right? You're like, you know, just please make the last couple steps. I don't want to have to let down and have to, have to try to have to redraw and do all that moving without getting picked off. And the other thing was too, the where we were set up, like he was coming in a little higher, you know, because we were just down off the edge of that drainage just a little bit. Um, and so we weren't at eye level with him. We were still up above him, but it was, you know, it wasn't ideal necessarily put it that way to get drawn until, you know, unless he was behind some, some brush. And so he starts to make his move. And as he's making his move, he hits the shooting window, starts quartering slightly away, still great shot opportunity. and. A mouth bleeded him to stop him, and then he hit the second window. So it was like he passed the first window, you know, when I mouth bleeded him, and he took one more step and and stepped into the second window because there's basically like some brush, a window, a tree, and then another window. And so I held my pin on him. It was probably, I don't know, 15-ish yards um, and let it rip and hit him. He mule kick jumped took off i immediately could see that there was arrows sticking sticking out of him which at first i wasn't too concerned with because he was quartering away the way he had his kind of shoulders positioned you know i was like you know i I got in behind that front shoulder and i'm almost positive i hit the offside shoulder which is you know quartering away shot is what you want to do you want to aim for that offside shoulder and try to jam it through the lungs and hit that hit that offside shoulder and bust it up and you know maybe get a pass through but if nothing else you, you know you bust that shoulder up and he's he's not going to go far and uh felt real good about the shot um you know it was uh you know placed it well um thought it was a a, a hammer hit you know it looked like if you know if you replayed it in your mind and you looked at it, it was like man that's a that's a dead deer um we gave it some time, gave it, you know, I don't know, we probably sat in the tree for an hour. When he busted out of there, like, he, he took off, and then he started jogging right, and then jogged, jogged a little bit left, and it just, it was so thick in there, it was hard to tell exactly where he went, and then he just went completely quiet. And so, I thought he hit the open grass, like, somewhere, right? Or he went along the edge of the cedar thicket near where that pasture was at, and then dipped down into the other side of the cedar thicket, which 
you know, probably wouldn't really hear him from that distance at that point, and there's no no leaves in there necessarily to, to hear either him crunching through. So stayed in the tree for a while, you know, probably like an hour or so, and then started climbing down, and we were like, let's just, you know, go to where the impact was and see, you know, if we can find blood there and start just kind of trilling and then it's, let's look at the blood and try to determine what kind of blood it is, how good is the blood, and then make a decision from there whether or not we're going to continue to, to track or if we need to back out for a little while or what. But, you know, we thought for sure at the end of the day we were going to have, you know, a, uh, a dead deer. And um, we started looking at the impact site. And there wasn't any blood, which wasn't crazy, you know, because the shot was just a little bit high. Um, but well within, you know, the, the, the kill zone. Um, I did get it on, uh, on, on a camera. So I was able to go back and look at the footage and see where it landed. And so that just confirmed, I was like, okay, that felt good. The release felt good. Placement was a touch high, but that's in, should be in lung. And it looks like I hit the offside shoulder. So we should be in business and started tracking, tracking, tracking. And just, we're not finding any blood just in that general area. And we finally started finding just like a little bit, you know, like just like very little bit and started kind of making our way through and found the arrow where it came out. And I got probably nine inches of arrow in it. He broke it off. Um, and, uh, so we marked that spot and we were, you know, we were just like, you know what, let's, let's back out of here. Um, and, uh, and just give it some time, you know, it might be a single lung. It might've got single and then clip, you know, clip the second or whatever, you know, so we spent, you know, whatever it was, you know, just probably an hour, maybe hour and a half looking in that general area, just making sure to try to find like, which way did he exit? Like, which way did he go? Like, so we know where to pick up the trail and we just weren't able to, to, to find anything right in that specific spot. So we ended up backing out and we were like, let's just give him some time. It's not, you know, he could be bedded really close, you know, so let's just get out of here as quietly as we can and then we'll come back. And so that's what we did. Uh, we ended up calling um, some of Zach's buddies that, you know, to potentially come out and help us track. Zach and I ended up going um, back in, did some more looking, trying to figure out like, can we find blood on the edge anywhere? I mean, we gave him a couple hours at that point and, um, try to go along to see if we could find blood on the edge anywhere. <clears throat> Couldn't find any blood on the edges. We walked, you know, just the edges though. We did, again, we didn't want to get too far into the CRP and stuff like that. Cause we didn't know if he was potentially bedded in that. Um, and we wanted to give him plenty of time and without, you know, trying to, you know, push too far, but we were just trying to find like a starting point to where we're going to potentially, you know, have an opportunity just trying to figure out the trajectory, like what direction he went, you know what I mean? Because we lost him in the timber. We couldn't see him any longer. So we don't know exactly where he, where he exited and without the blood. It's like we, he could have went any number of ways. So we spent, you know, some time there looking and we ended up boating back out. Um, and we waited for, you know, Chad to wrap up his hunt. We had a couple guys come in, Zach and I drove to the private land owners in that general area and got permission to walk on their property um, to look for, to look for this deer. We sent some, uh, images to some trackers, um, to consider bringing in a dog, um, and get their opinion on what the likelihood of recovering this deer was. Um, they gave us some good information, um, and basically came out and, you know, told us that, Hey, you know, I'll bring a dog out. He's, you know, he's like, but, um, he's like, I don't think you're going to find that deer. Um, you know, he's like, and he, he really just, 
you know, I don't want to see didn't necessarily want to do it, but he was just, he was being real honest as he looked at it and got the opinion of some of his buddies. He felt like it was high shoulder kind of in no man's land. Um, and that it likely, you know, wasn't a fatal hit. So, so that was that with the dog. So we weren't able to get a dog out. And then, so we went back out, um, last evening late. And after, at that point, that deer would have had, you know, however many hours, you know, close to 12 hours, um, to lay down. And, um, we went back out and grid searched, you know, all the access or all the public that, that was around there, you know, a couple of the drainages that were, that were there that he could have possibly ran into. We were never able to find an exit route. We were never able to find blood where he maybe ran, you know, into CRP or, you know, even exited the timber. Um, we grid searched all the CRP that was there. Um, grid searched the South CRP, the North CRP, uh, the drainages that were all in the timber that was to the, um, to the East, the drainages and timber that was to the West, um, grid searched all the private that we got access to. And in fact, Zach's cousin, um, you know, knew the other private landowners and we were, that were even adjacent to the two that we got permission from. And we were able to extend the search onto that, that those private pieces or that private piece, which was a pretty decent sized chunk. Um, and probably spent 12 plus hours searching for this deer after, after the shot, um, yesterday and found not a single additional drop of blood and came up empty. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bummer end of the story. I mean, this today, you know, less yesterday was the last day of the hunt. Um, you know, last year, if you recall in Iowa, it took me to the last day to get the job done and it had a happy ending. And, uh, this one does not, um, doesn't sit with me well. Um, you know, you never hate, you never want to hit an animal and not recover it. Um, truthfully, you know, this is a new experience for me, to be honest. Um, in the past, I've either missed them clean or recovered them. Um, and so this is the first time I've had a deer where I thought I hit, hit well and, and never found it. So it's a, it's a pretty sickening feeling. Um, you know, look, I know you do this long enough and you bow hunt, you know, long enough, it's eventually going to happen to you. It happens to everybody at some point. Um, and if, you know, because, and if you're one of those folks like me, who, you know, was like, well, it's never happened to me yet. It's like, just give it time, (laughs) you know? And I don't like saying that it's not like, you know, you don't wish this on anybody or anything like that because it's, it's a, it's a pretty shitty feeling. Um, but it just kind of comes with the territory. Um, you know, everything, everything felt good, did everything I could do to try to find that deer. My belief is, is I don't think that he's dead. Um, I think as much as we searched yesterday and everywhere that we went, I think we would have found him. Um, you know, I think he's going to end up, I think he's going to be a little sore, um, and end up, end up living, especially after kind of, after talking to the trackers. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier to, um, leave and walk away. It's not about whether or not I fill my tag or not. Um, it's just more about, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to wound something. Um, you know, you don't want to have to have that animal be, be hurt or end up taking a couple days to, to die or be injured and end up yotes getting them or whatever the case is. Um, so it's pretty low feeling, man, you know, not gonna, not gonna sugarcoat it, feel like shit. And, uh, you know, didn't sleep well last night, but you know, I, I know that this is, it's part of it. 
it happens. Um, you know, plenty of buddies that I know have, have, have had it happen to them and, and, and stuff like that. Um, but it still doesn't make it any easier to any, any easier to swallow. So the net net is, I just need to, you know, it's taken today to kind of pack up camp to get ready to head to my next location. Also probably mentally needed a day just to kind of, um, come to terms with, you know, everything that transpired yesterday. Um, give myself a, a day to pack up camp and head off to the new next state, lick my wounds and, uh, put on my big boy pants and, and get back after it. And, and that's what I'll do. So, you know, it's, uh, I tell you what, man, these travel hunts out of state, um, DIY freelance, we hit three States in seven or not three States. We hit three sections of public all an hour and a half away from each other, completely different habitat in each section in seven days, actually six days, actually fewer than that because it was, you know, I guess it was Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Yeah. So within five days we hit three different chunks of public land that were all an hour and a half, basically an hour and a half drive from each other. Um, or, or more actually, I think the first one was almost two hours. The first move was almost two hours. So, um, it definitely put to the test the, the mental, some mental fortitude, you know, to, to grind through and push through. Cause every day was a lot of miles. It was almost felt like we were Western hunting for whitetails because every day was just logging miles and scouting hot weather, um, deer not moving. And so you're really having to find where they were at. It was, it was really kind of strange for a rut hunt, to be honest. Um, you know, but you know, the thing was, is that every piece we went to, you know, we were able to get on deer on bucks within, you know, shooter bucks within, you know, two days, um, each time we moved, you know, or the first time we got to the, the first place we were at. And then each time we moved after that, it took us basically, you know, within the first 24 to 48 hours, we were, we were having encounters, um, which is just super rad, man. And I just urge anyone out there that's listening that if it's something you've considered doing, um, you know, I'd say, go do it, man. It's, it's awesome. <laughs> I mean, you learn so much. Um, you have so many growth opportunities and experiences when you do these, these type of hunts, they will humble you quickly. Um, as, as high as those highs are, whenever you find that sign or you have that encounter or whatever, um, there are those days and those times where it's like you couldn't like where you question whether or not, you know what the hell you're doing. <laughs> you know, there were, there were times where we were walking and we're just like, you know, like goodness, like cannot find deer sign that I want to set up on to save my life, you know? And then all of a sudden your fortunes change just like that, you know? And then for me, you know, you get the shot opportunity that you've been working for, you know, for six days, you know, grinding. And then, you know, and it just doesn't come, it just doesn't come to fruition, um, which is a pretty tough pill to pill to swallow, but you know, it's, uh, good learning lessons. Um, you know, it's, uh, this is one of those things that you, you know, that I'll kind of take with me on, 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 on future hunts. And as I stand here right now, it's like, I don't know exactly what I'm taking from it yet. Cause it's still so fresh and, and so kind of raw that I'm not sure what the take, what the positive takeaway from it is because the positive takeaway isn't necessarily some, you know, self-fulfilling type of takeaway where it's like, you know, I'm going to be better at, 
X because of it, or, you know, or, you know, or I'm going to be a better human or whatever, because of it. it's not that it's not that like higher order, if you will. It's, I think, um, tactically, I think I need to look at it, you know, about how I'm executing, how I executed the shot. Um, and not necessarily the, not necessarily the shot, but if I had to take, okay, I'll do this. The immediate takeaway is, um, this okay this this is actually yeah this is the thing that i need to work on um you guys are getting this in real time so if this is <laughs> sorry if this is a little bit of stream of consciousness um when i target shoot you know or i'm practicing in the off season and i've talked to my buddy johnny utah about this and he's warned me of this you know so shout out to him for that and i've tried to break myself of it but it's it's hard for me to do because i'm i'm not a super anal perfectionist but there's certain things i'm really really particular about um and one is shooting. I shoot a lot. Um, and I try to be really, really fine when I shoot um, target, right? And I think what part of the problem is, is that I try to be so precise when I, when I practice shoot, when I'm target shooting and stuff like that, that I'm constantly trying to pound that, pound the X, if you will, right? Whenever I'm practicing at home or, you know, if I'm shooting my 3D target, it's like I'm tr- constantly trying to heart shot or slip the arrow in like right behind the crease, of the shoulder, like, like perfectly, right. At whatever range and at whatever angle, right. That's like my, that's my goal. And if I can't do it, I get a little upset about it. Um, and I'll just keep doing it until I finally get it. And so I've talked to John about this in the past, because I think if I'm not mistaken, he had mentioned to me just, I think it was, it wasn't on the podcast. I think it was off air that he, he used to do the same thing. And, what he was finding was, was that he was giving himself no margin for error on a live animal shot. Cause he was trying to be so fine that if he was just a little bit forward, like if he was back a little bit, he was good. But if you're just a little bit forward, you were either hitting shoulder or you were in no man's land. And this is the first time that's happened to me. Um, you know, last year I had a couple misses that were clean misses for, you know, one rushing a shot two clipping a branch, you know, and then finally sealed the deal but this was the first time we're trying to be too fine and be too perfect instead of make, not making a target shot, but making a kill shot bit me in the ass. And I started trying to work on this some this year. And I think, and I obviously needed to spend more time with it is I need to practice at taking kill shots and not being so hung up on like, I don't want to say perfect arrow placement because that's what we always want. We want a clean ethical kill. So don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying like, don't, aim for like the perfect kill shot or the best kill shot but in a real life setting in the woods and the timber when you're dealing with brush and you're trying to slip it between a branch and a tree or whatever the case is because those are the shots you're going to have especially if you're hunting thick areas and in around bedding like you're you know in public like you can't cut limbs you can't do that stuff so it's like you got what you got um is that i need to do a better job of in the moment of i don't want to take take center mass shots but giving myself a forward margin of error and pulling my arrow back a little bit. Cause if that arrow yesterday was back, if I didn't try to, you know, jam that into the perfect spot and I was back two inches, complete pass through totally different story. Right. Um, and so that is the takeaway for me. Like that's the thing that I need to work on tactically that I need to work on, you know, I'm just, I'm being too particular about it and maybe I'm beating myself up about it, you know, too much, but I don't think that I am. I mean, it's, it's an animal and you want to be as, 
ethical and as quick as possible. Um, but that's the thing that I need to work on. Like I need to, I need to make kill shots and not target shots whenever I'm in the woods and that's on me and I need to fix that. So with that, I've been going on here for a little while, you know, thanks for listening to me, give you the stream of consciousness, give you uh, consciousness, giving you the play by play. Um, I'll try to get some more of these out here in this next week. Uh, you know, I'm not sure how much more time I'm going to have actually the internet access for me is going to be even more remote than it was this past week in this next location that I'm headed to. Um, and hopefully we've got some better outcomes. Um, we got some good deer on camera in this particular area on this piece of public that we're headed to. Uh, so things are looking good. looks like we're going to have a little bit of a turn in weather here starting, you know, early part of the week. Um, ish or probably about the time you're listening to this on, on a Wednesday. Um, so feeling good about those things. And, uh, I'm sure the drive, you know, the, the drive will, uh, be therapeutic for me and help me get back in the right, uh, the the right headspace to, to finish out the grind for the, for the next week and, uh, hopefully fill in some tags. So with that, I hope you guys are finding success in the timber. Um, I hope you're enjoying this time of year you know i know the weather's not great but just get out and enjoy the deer movement whatever you know however heavier light that might be and just enjoy some time in the timber and uh have some time with your thoughts so with that i want to thank you all for listening all right folks that is a wrap for today's show i'd like to thank all of you for listening if you haven't yet please head over to itunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast and hell while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a sub there as well. I'd be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tether, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Maven Optics. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.